0: With me and your copy of God's Word, since it's close enough to Christmas, we're going to preach out of Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. This is Mary's song, what's called in Latin, the Magnificat. As you're turning, my mind goes to a lullaby that Keith and Kristen Getty sing. It says this, it says, Do you feel the world is broken? And then a voice of kids saying, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Now let me remind you, lullabies are written for children, not for grown folks. But she wrote that lullaby because kids have an instinctiveness. They know something's not right. When you cut the light off at night, what do kids do? They cry. When kids read little stories and they see the damsel is being rescued from the dragon, they've got an instinctive sense something is not right. It's amazing to me how little children can sense tension and they know when things have gone awry in our homes. They know. And from a young age, we sense something's not quite right. And what when we're young, is like a crack in the sidewalk. As we get older, it becomes as large and impassable as the Grand Canyon. We know it, don't we? I love how many people today have ringed doorbells. Why do we have cameras on our doorbells? We're worried about bad actors and porch pirates. Why do we... You know, I love reading Southern Presbyterian history. And in 1777-ish in North Carolina, every church member had their rifle and their gunpowder horn in their lap during the preaching of God's word because they were ready for war. We bring our guns to church and we're not under war, are we? And yet we have this deep sense that something's not right. Or think about it when you go and pump gas. Think about all that goes into pumping gas. Somebody's got to have a salary and a vehicle and equipment to put that little sticker from Anthony, Andy Gibson on every pump. You've got a security camera because people pump and leave. You've got a card reader with security measures because people steal your credit card information. Look at all the things that have to be put in place just for you to pump gas. Is the world broken? It is. And when we realize how poor the situation has become, God institutes what I like to call a divine, a redemptive reversal. He reverses the curse, He illuminates the darkness, He rebuilds what is broken. So we'll pick that up in our sermon in a sentence. God has readied a redemptive reversal. Let's pray, and then we'll tease that out. Heavenly Father, Amos chapter 7 says that you will send a drought, a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst of water, but a famine of hearing your word. Lord, I pray that would not be true today, that your word would not land on hard and stony hearts, but it would land on good soil, Father, prepare our ears and our eyes and our hearts to receive your word that it may bear much fruit, that that famine would not be known in this place. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, Mary, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Hear the word of the Lord. And Mary said... And thus ends a reading of God's Word this morning. In order for us to understand this redemptive reversal, we've got to properly diagnose what needs to be reversed. Now let's think about Mary. She's a young girl growing up under Roman oppression and economic poverty. And now, as a pregnant teenager... In a small town, there's a great level of societal shame. And this bears all the hallmarks of the language we like to use today of oppressed and oppressor. But I want you to notice something in Mary's song. What is the issue for Mary is not diversity quotas nor income equality. It's not social justice or tax brackets. It's not inflation nor immigration. For Mary, the issue is sin, not the symptoms of it. It's pretty easy to catch that, isn't it? Because look at what Mary says. She does not say, I rejoice in God, my politician. I rejoice in God, my financial advisor. No, Mary says, I rejoice in God my Savior. And we already know from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, His name shall be Jesus, for He shall save us from our sins. And furthermore, Mary is going to continue her life as an oppressed, poor outcast. And yet Mary continues to rejoice in God her Savior. Do we see what the, sin, the issue is? The sinfulness of sin and the weight of glory are far greater than the secondary issues of which fill our day. God will not call us to task because of the rising price of groceries. But He will call us to task for sin. And it's abounding. We see it everywhere. Mercy is is that attribute of God of which Peter says the angels peer out of heaven to see. And yet how often do we sin against mercy? Thomas Brooks says, when we sin against mercy, justice takes the throne. The saints in heaven, as we'll read in Revelation next year, the saints in heaven praise God for the might of, of His creative power, and yet we sin against that might by trusting in our own power. The seraphim and Isaiah hide their face from the thrice holy God, and yet we sin against His majesty by preferring football stats and petty qualms instead of contemplating the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do we see the problem there's a sin problem. Mary sees a world full of sin and yet Mary sees these three attributes, His mercy, His might, and His majesty are the ones God employs to bring about a redemptive reversal. What does this reversal teach us about God? Well, first I said Mary highlights His majesty, His mercy. God uses his mercy to bring a redemptive reversal. We see it multiple times. His mercy is for those who fear him. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Some tell me, what is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy is God freely alleviating man's misery. Mercy is God Freely alleviating man's misery. Did you catch that important word? It's freely. Mercy is a free act. No one forces God to show mercy. No one compels God to be merciful. Let's think about a judge for a minute. A judge can be disqualified for not upholding the law. A judge can be disqualified for being unjust. But a judge cannot be disqualified for being unmerciful. If a judge gives everyone the maximum sentence, that does not make him a bad judge. Because mercy is a free act. Justice is required. Mercy is not. And scripture abounds with displays of mercy. Mercy. Why did God call Abraham idolatrous Abraham from the land of the Chaldees? It was mercy. Why did God show such kindness to that rascal Jacob? Mercy. Why did God kick out the Canaanites to bring Israel in? God says, it's not because you're righteous. It's not because you're big. It's because I'm Merciful. And then we can go on, can't we? Paul surveys the totality of the Old Testament and he says, it depends not on human will or human exertion, but on God who has the mercy. He saved us not because of works we have done, but according to his own mercy. This free mercy goes to the miserable. Yes, there's a general benevolence God shows upon all things. But that's not what Mary's talking about. She doesn't praise God, her creator. She doesn't praise God, her sustainer. She praises God, her savior. His mercy alleviates our miserable condition. He comes to those who say, I have been cut off from your sight. Hear my pleas for mercy. We were talking earlier about the doctor and I told I said y'all aren't going to see me go to the doctor unless I'm dying what is that you are not going to see me cry out for help unless unless I am in a miserable condition Jesus said the same thing those who are well need no need of a physician but those who are sick His mercy alleviates man's misery. It starts a redemptive reversal. But alongside His mercy, Mary praises His might. His might readies a redemptive reversal. She says, He is mighty and has done great things for me. Mary knows weakness. You know, we tell our children, I tell Zoe... One day you're going to go out and change the world. Really? It sounds nice and it's encouraging, but do we really think they're going to change the world? How much world-changing can a pregnant teenager do? And yet in comparison to her weakness, she sees God's immeasurable might. God can do anything and everything. He created the world by speaking. And it says he calls out to the heavens and they stand at attention. He can do far more than we have seen or will see because his power follows his most holy, most wise, most perfect decree. He flexes his muscle for what purposes he sees fit. And the purpose he often sees fit is that of redemption. Exodus chapter 6, God says, I'm going to bear my arm to redeem you from Egypt. From Pharaoh, he is mightier than you. Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace. They said, I know our God can save us if he wants to. And he does. He saved them from the fire that was too hot and the king that was too strong. Isaiah 53, he says, I bear my holy arm to once deliver you from sin and iniquity. In every case, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and pulled the mighty down from their thrones. And in a rising crescendo, Jesus defeats sin, the devil, death, and hell with the ultimate Weakness. With his death, he has more might in his dying than we have in our living. His might has readied a redemptive reversal. Alongside his mercy and his might, God's majesty readies this reversal. He says it. He says, holy is his name. Mary must wonder... How do I know God will do what he says? It's because God's foremost concern is for his own majesty. Joel Beeky says, God is set apart by his glory for his glory. When we glorify ourselves, we are like stars in the night sky where the brightness of one star detracts from all the others but when God comes for his glory he is like the rising of the sun that where the, we can't even see the stars because the sun is so bright we cannot see the pride and the power of man because God's glory is all consuming we've seen it haven't we he displays his might. By causing the old and worn out Elizabeth to conceive. He shows his mercy by showering it upon the irrelevant and obscure Mary. So that in no way, no one can diminish his majesty. This redemptive reversal will be all him or nothing. And what we see in Mary's situation is a microcosm of what is experienced in the church at large and every individual member of it. It's a snapshot of what he does for his people. So what should we expect in this redemptive reversal? What does it require from us? Well, we really see a few things, don't we? One... We must forsake our own might. It says he has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. I don't think any of y'all go home and sit on a throne. But I do know that each of us like to put ourselves on a pedestal. Maybe not in person, but at least in our heart. How many situations in life do we look at and say, we got this. That was a problem of the professional class of Jesus' day, of the Pharisees. They looked at it and they said, we got it. We don't need Jesus. And as a room full of those who are in a season of life of prosperity, many of us, having been part of that professional class, we are a group of people who have been able to pay or play our way out of a multitude of problems. That's a problem. It becomes hard for us to forsake our might. And as we transition to a secretive culture, it used to be there's no such thing as a secret. Now, we can hide in our four walls. I was talking to someone recently whose, whose friend had four Facebook accounts. They were living a secret life. There's a lack of transparency. We hide things online and in our homes. We hide things in our heart. But what does our text say? He scatters the proud even in that most secret place in the thoughts of their heart. Like throwing confetti into a tornado. It's gone. This redemptive reversal implies that we need to be redeemed from someone mightier than us. Mary's not worried about Rome. Rome will be supplanted. Mary is not worried about how much money she has in the bank. We all know it's Christmas time. What happens to all of every little kid spending money they get at Christmas? It's gone. Mary's not worried. She's worried about sin. Whether you're an unbeliever who's never professed faith in Jesus Christ or a believer struggling through this life, the issue is the same. We must forsake our might. Martin Luther says the more miserable Sinful and distressed a man does feel himself and judge himself to be, the more willing Christ is to receive and relieve him. Or Al Martin said once, until you think nothing of yourself and make nothing of yourself, God cannot do anything with you. I think he's on to something. Afterwards, We must cling to His mercy. Mary rejoices in God her Savior. Contrary to the Catholic Church, Mary is not sinless. She wouldn't need a Savior unless she had a sin problem. But on what ground does she pray this prayer? It is solely based on God's mercy. Do we believe that God will answer us? What reason does he have to answer us? It's his mercy. Mary had a sure persuasion that God loved her and would keep his promises to her the same way he kept it to his fathers. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he made promises. He kept them. We read the book of Leviticus. It is a book that is nothing but what Jesus Christ will do for us. We read the book of Psalms, it's nothing but an expectation of what Christ will do for us. We read the prophets, it's nothing but a foretelling of what Christ will do for us. Christmas for Mary was a confirmation that God is merciful and will keep his promises. How much greater confirmation do we have this Christmas? When we have reached the end of our rope, what do we have left but mercy? He delights in showing mercy. What do we have to lose? Our pride? That will go away. Our possessions? They will rust. But Jeremiah says, His mercy endures forever. We can only have so much of Christ as we cling to His mercy. That's why one of my favorite hymns, Beneath the Cross of Jesus, sings, Upon the cross of Jesus, mine eyes at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me. And from my stricken heart with tears to wonders I confess, the wonders of redeeming love And my unworthiness. They rise and fall together. Church, I close here. Those who have forsaken their strength and cling to His mercy, we rejoice in God's majesty. I want to close with repeating Mary's statement. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich He has sent away empty. I hate to keep badgering the point. Mary is not talking about a 16-ounce ribeye. That is not the feeling Mary has in mind. The good thing is to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We call this a beatific vision. The full and immediate enjoyment of God and all joy and life and peace. Now we enjoy that now. We're sojourners in a barren land. But we get to enjoy that in part. We rejoice with a joy inexpressible and filled with glory. Mary would continue to be politically, economically, and socially oppressed, but she would continue to rejoice. There is something about communion with God that sweetens our sorrows And helps us to rejoice in the beginning of this redemptive reversal. But in like measure, those who do not forsake their might, those who do not cling to His mercy, are sent away empty. We imagine hell. I can get into our psyche for a minute. We imagine hell. As where the worm does not die, or the, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Yes, that is true. We imagine devils and pitchforks and this punishment to our senses, but that is not the greatest punishment in hell. The agony, the abundance of torment is the emptiness as the young folks say, I think they call it FOMO, the fear of missing out. That emptiness of God's mercy, emptiness of His glory, emptiness of and an eternity thinking of what we could have had and said no, that emptiness. Today, God calls for a redemptive reversal. Our wickedness for His righteousness our death for His life, our sorrow for His joy, His heaven for our hell. God in Christ is reversing the curse with His merciful, mighty, and majestic redemption. That's our hope at Christmas. Can I pray? Heavenly Father, We come to you and bow down and cling to your mercy. What do we have that we did not receive? Every article of clothing we wear, every meal that we partake, every stocking that we stuff is from your kindness to us. Father, we ask that you would show us the ultimate kindness. Give us more of Jesus Christ. That we may be conformed to His image. Help us to turn away from our own pride and vanity and cling to that glory that is and was and will always be. That in it we may find a fullness beyond what we could possibly dream. That we may actually be able to enjoy our families and our lives without the fear of losing knowing that the greatest thing we have cannot be lost. Father, we ask for your mercy in this way. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.